Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Matt Scottoline of Hurry about Teenage Fan Club's 1995 album Grand Prix. We also talk about Power Pop, Doing Whatever You Want, and Growing Up Being Emo Adjacent. Hurry has a new album coming out June 25th on Lamo Records called Fake Ideas. Really looking forward to the new album, and between you and me, I've heard it, and it's fantastic. Okay, check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you do that sort of thing. Please tell all your friends. Seriously helps. Okay, let's chat with Matt Scottoline. Hey Matt, how's it going? Um, great. Having the uh, best day of my life. Today is the best day of your life. Yeah. Does it have anything to do with being on this podcast, or was it already good before that? I will let the listeners decide. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so today we are talking about the Teenage Fan Club album Grand Prix from 1995. Came out on Creation Records or Geffen. And so, what I will ask Matt, when was the first time you heard this record? Um, I think, I think I, I should have uh, tried to remember this before the podcast started, but I think, I think I first heard it in like 2012 or 2013. Um, I had heard... So I used I, I used to do a radio show at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And um, do you ever do a college radio show or anything? No. No. This is your I'm first broadcasting endeavor. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, I I'm assuming this is for most college radio stations, based on what I know from like putting out a record and having college radio stations have it sent to them. There's always a new music shelf, and like usually you're required to play X amount of songs from that shelf um, as like a station policy. So anyway, long story short, there was this record. I always had a tough time because I I didn't like a lot of the stuff that came in, but um, there was a record that came in. uh, The band name was called Light Ships. And that was, I didn't know this at the time, but that was a side project of Gerard Love from Teenage Fan Club. And I started listening to that because I was playing that as my new music requirements. And when I read more about it in like the press release that's like on the sticker, it said he's from Teenage Fan Club. And uh, so I was like, okay, well, I'll check that out. And, uh, you know, so I I think sometime shortly after that, I started like digging through the stuff, you know, and um, so I'm going to put I'm going to pin it around then. So was that the so listening to Lightships? That was the first time you had ever heard anything Teenage Fan Club related. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if okay. if I heard it before, I think, um, you know, it was I didn't notice or I didn't know what it was or yeah. something. You know. Yeah, I I think it probably would have been around the same time, but not this record. Like, I heard. Uh, I think I heard Bandwagon Ask. Yeah. around this time and 
for some reason i feel like i stuck with that i mean it's a good record but i stuck with that one for a really long time like i don't feel like i've really you know dived into this specific album until like the past couple years yeah it feels like well bandwagon s is Uh, like the that's sort of the the classic record i think so i think that's like mm -hmm. a good starting point for sure and that's probably where most people start too and it might have been where i started but I, i don't really remember um but yeah i mean they i i always feel like um teenage fan club to me they exist in like two phases as a band Mm -hmm. maybe a third phase starting right now if i want to be like a nerd about it but um but like bandwagon-esque was like their not their first record but it was like their big sort of like splash on the scene record in that like you know early 90s like period um you know they like played shows with opening for nirvana and stuff but like anyway that goes up into grand prix in my opinion, this is not like a stated thing, but this is what I think about. And there, so there's a group of albums and Grand Prix is the last one. And I feel like that was sort of like, they reached their final form of, of like that era. And then, you know, a switch kind of flips in the band and they kind of start this like new sound. There's like one record after Grand Prix um, songs from Northern Britain. And that's sort of like the crossfade where like they kind of switch i feel I'm, am i going off the rails already no that's fine uh, i kind of like this is actually really well to me this is really important this this whole podcast i feel is like educating me in, yeah. in certain respects right um so like the weird thing i end up doing with teenage fan club is like i feel like i get introduced to a new record and then i just stay on that one for a few years yeah uh which is a, is good is a high compliment but I haven't I haven't made my way through uh, Teenage Fan Club discography, and even when I wrote down that this was their fifth album, I was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> like I thought this was like their, like in my head, like it's like I knew it wasn't true because I knew they had started before, but it was like Bandwagon Ask was their first record to me, and then this was like the second, is what yeah, I thought. That's not in my head. That's like, you know, that is all true, but. I also wouldn't fault anyone for thinking Bandwagon-esque was first because the two that preceded it, like one of them, a lot of people don't even consider a true album. It was sort of this like filler content where it's like mostly improvised and they just like had to release something while they were like building up to Bandwagon-esque. And then Mm. the first one is, is like a true record, but, um, you know, it's like rougher and it's not as like fully formed. It's like every band's first record, basically. So Bandwagon-esque, in a lot of ways, like that is like the first like real expression of that band, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it's definitely like a feeling I have. Um, like, like my band's first record, I wish no one ever heard it. <laughs> like that's, but that's always how I feel like everyone's first record was to a point. Sure. Like, you know, it's, but nowadays I feel like people are like fully formed before they get to their first record. And I'm like, how did you do that? Like, it's like, yeah. it's documented these things that, you know, so it, it doesn't surprise me that this is their fifth record because I feel like traditionally that used to be the case. It's like, there were a lot of warts along the way to make an amazing record. Yeah. yeah. I think that still is. I feel like yours, I mean, 
I respect your opinion, but I feel like that's maybe some like imposter syndrome speaking or something. And because uh, I feel like I don't, I don't think that changes, but maybe people don't publicize their like earlier stuff yeah. quite as much or people do like singles a little bit more now than they used to. Um, yeah. But or classically, like your first thing is like an EP, right? And, uh, mm. you know, EPs can be yeah. as bad as they want to be. Did they, did they, did, uh, did they have like a string of EPs or did they just go straight into like an LP? Do you know? Um, I don't know what predates the first record. Uh, so there could be stuff. I, I, I actually have no idea. I mean, um, yeah, they released a lot of singles like during that whole nineties period and they have like cool B-side tracks on them, but, um, okay. I don't know what came like in the like prior to their first record that's a good question yeah that that kind of era of singles was definitely more to support a upcoming record not yeah like nowadays i feel like people do it to do it you know and also like really attached to something in the 90s you would just buy a single because they were cheaper and you could just listen to like the hit from the record and you didn't have to buy the whole thing I know I did that when I was like when I was a kid and I would get like cassette singles. Um, you know, you don't want to buy the whole soundtrack to Phenomenon. You just want to buy the single of Eric Clapton and Babyface Change the World. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just want to get like the main theme from Lethal Weapon, not like exactly. all of the other Eric Clapton shredding songs. Right. You know? Precisely. Be more concise. Yeah. Um, so... I feel like it's like when when you when you started listening to Teenage Fan Club, I guess so you were saying like outside of Lightships, Grand Prix was the first one you remember listening to. Um, no, I, w- I don't I don't remember the first one of those two, but I know that Grand Prix resonated with me the most. Okay. Yeah. Um so were you listening to other things, I guess, that we could just easily call like power pop Um, around that time. No, not so, not, no, not so much. I think like for me, what hit, cause I'm trying to like put the timelines together. Um, Yeah. I mean, in 2013, I think the concept of power pop as a genre was sort of like starting to creep into my mind. But I, so I, I think I was listening to bands like that, but I didn't know there was like a thing. And, um, yeah. but with Grand Prix, I feel like, you know, I grew up listening to nineties alternative rock radio and I, you know, I loved like the gin blossoms and the Lemonheads and all the stuff that like their station in Philly was playing at the time. Um, so Grand Prix to me was like this like supercharged version of what I liked most about all of that kind of music um yeah and you know it just kind of like blew my mind and i knew it was an older record but it it had this like it kind of renewed my my um my love for that kind of stuff you know because i was like there's this bigger world of it out there that i didn't really conceptualize before that yeah like now kind of looking back at things like I don't know, Lemonhead, that just that whole era, like Teenage Fan Club. uh, I I feel like I want to say it without like somehow like uh, 
saying something not derogatory to Lemonheads, but it's like it feels like Teenage Fan Club does what a lot of bands kind of hint at doing. There's right. a lot of like elements of like power pop and like using acoustic guitars and right. all of those uh, layers, but Teenage Fan Club, especially on like this record, like feels more comfortable going right into it. You know? Yeah. Um, well, it's funny because I, you know, I agree with you. But they they've had a funny career where, like during that time, they never quite hit the way like their peers did, and they never quite mm-hmm. like took off. And like even famously, like the year that Nevermind came out is also the year that Bandwagon S came out, and um, it like beat out I think in like Spin Magazine or something. It like won Record of the Year over Nevermind, and and like everybody was like, oh, they're going to be the next big thing. And then they put out 13 after Bandwagon Esque and they were trying to be like a little grungier with that. And it like totally bombed. And then they like mm-hmm. tried to react from that and they made Grand Prix, which was like total Britpop, power pop kind of stuff. And it did better, but it never, they, they just never took off. So they were like doing all this amazing stuff, but they never got the commercial success that a lot of other bands at that time had yeah i mean i i totally don't disagree i feel like if i feel like you're hitting on the right notes um like me personally then you're not going to be successful like that's (laughs) so so yeah so i could have told them i like this a lot you're in trouble it's not going to work out (laughs) yeah if if (laughs) If I really like your sound, just change your sound. Yeah. If you're looking for success. Not good. Yeah. Um, So I guess, like, where would you want then the conversation uh, to go from here, Matt? Right. I don't know. Like, what do you want to tell me? The hard thing about Teenage Fan Club is, is, honestly, I feel like I don't know a lot. I've listened to Teenage Fan Club for years, but when I start thinking about... Let me give you an example. Um recently a friend told me that he doesn't that a friend told me they don't like uh the songs that the other singer sings on well there's and three I, there's three of them that but then in that moment i was like there's multiple singers of teenage fan club yeah and that so i'm i'm only telling that to tell you i didn't know right <laughs> like there's a lot of like history and there's a lot of like things about teenage fan club that i guess I never looked into. And right. now that I know that, I feel like I can hear it. But it's sort of like yeah. one person can sound slightly different to totally. each song, yeah. you know? And they don't sound miles away. Right. Like, yeah. but knowing that it just sort of clicked. I mean, you can tell that people are like singing off. So I always knew they had multiple singers in that, mm-hmm. you know, like there were always like harmonies and, you know, that was like a big thing. But I never thought about like who really sang lead on what right and they all wrote like this there's three singers but there's they're also three songwriters so like yeah um you know a grand prix and on all of their records you get this sort of like sampling from each of them so like there's kind of this cool sub um appreciation with the band where you you also can listen to like how the individuals as songwriters evolve within the band as the albums go on um but yeah you got uh you got raymond mcginley you got norman blake you got gerard love uh the kings three kings 
Yeah. Oh, I remember I was watching uh, a YouTube video of one of their music videos uh, a few years ago. And just like the, uh, well, the, Brendan wasn't on this record, but like the drum head having Brendan mm. on it. Yeah. It's just a huge statement. <laughs> what? Um, uh, I have no other thing to comment about it, but. What, yeah. what video was it? Do you know? Oh, I don't, I don't remember. I mean, it must have, because I were know Were they old guys play. in it, or were they young guys in it? No, they were young. Okay. It was, uh, I think he had a lot of clothing on. Like, he had a very big <laughs> uh, coat, and it definitely was Brendan, because yeah. the drum head said gotcha. Brendan. So it must have been... Too much clothing. Yeah, it was a lot of clothing. <laughs> um, so it was, I guess, at some point pre this, because I think Brendan had left... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, definitely by this, because Paul Quinn played drums on this record. Right. So. Interesting. I don't know what video you're talking about. It's not the new song. What You Do to Me. Oh, it yeah. Is... That's from Bandwagon Ask. Let me see if his... Uh... Oh, yes. This is the one, because he has a very big coat <laughs> on. It's a very fluffy coat. So yeah, so Brendan still played uh, with them on Bandwagon Ask. Right. Uh, rewatch that video and pay attention to his coat. I'm going to have to check it out. So I guess we'll just kind of go through each track. Uh, so starting with track one, um, so what are your thoughts on About You? You listen to this, right? You listen to this? I've listened to it a bunch, yes. Okay, great. Uh, what are my thoughts about you? It's a great opener. Uh I really, uh, it's, well, it's a Raymond McGinley track. Let, let the record show. Uh, and uh, maybe his best track on the record, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just a great, great, great opener. I like in the beginning, the guitars go. And the one is just kind of doing like the straight uh, downbeat strums. And then you got the other guitar kind of chiming um, on some of the upbeats and stuff. And it sounds cool. It kind of sounds like one guitar, but it's not one guitar. I don't know. Uh, what yeah. what do you, what can you really say about a song like this, or any song? Not, I don't. Yeah, that's why I don't. I try not to do that uh, on this podcast because I don't. I don't know when it gets into. Sometimes people like to talk about you know like diminished chords and things like that. Oh no, thank you. And yeah, <laughs> I can't do that. Uh, so then, but but I think what is interesting that you did touch on that just the back and forth with different songwriters you know mm-hmm. um you know and there were even parts like throughout the album it did kind of remind me of the time frame it was without just sounding exactly like another band like there was uh i don't i don't know what song it was <laughs> but there was even a point where it just straight up sounded like goo goo dolls but it's like mm. it always makes me think like it's like what what was like Gin Blossoms? What were Goo Goo Dolls? What were any of these bands that don't seem so connected, but definitely aren't that far away? Mm-hmm. I, I'm always curious, like, what were they listening to that sort of led to like a similar sound? Right. Yeah. I mean, famously, the Goo Goo Dolls were like trying to be the replacements, which, like, yeah, that was a fact that the moment I heard it, it made complete sense. And now every time I listen to the Goo Goo Dolls, or hear one of their songs it's like oh yeah clearly this guy's trying to be paul westerberg and like he just accidentally wrote these like amazing pop songs but um yeah i i don't i mean i'm assuming it's all like 80s punk stuff 
you know and like yeah. um you know i don't know what happened to sort of like shift i don't know it was just this like evolution of guitar music with like the production of the time i think and it just kind of yeah. happened to come out that way yeah yeah i mean i think i guess it's like i i want to i feel like i always want to avoid just jumping completely like straight into big star that's sure the thing. sure because yeah it's an obvious one right you know and but i think it's the obvious answer for yeah fan club i mean definitely like, like i feel like on bandwagon ask you hear the big star influence a lot um mm -hmm. and a lot of that 70s power pop stuff um yeah i mean it is definitely rooted there and this i think grand prix hits on a lot of that stuff but the production is like so slick and so um you know it has that like super clean compression of like commercial 90s rock records um mm -hmm. so yeah it almost is like i don't know yeah i i guess you're right i i, I think the big star thing plays in which is interesting with teenage fan club because they sort of like after grand prix they almost like completely abandoned that yeah yeah i mean i think i always have like a a slight issue with a lot of power pop that i feel like it sometimes doesn't have like a like a human feeling like there's not as much all the character has been scooped out of a lot of it but i don't for some reason i don't really have that feeling with teenage fan club yeah you know and i know you won't be able to explain my feeling <laughs> uh, you know well you'd be but, surprised but it's <laughs> but it's it's like i don't know what it is that they're doing that some other things aren't yeah you know even from like this era like other kind of power pop-esque things or like uh, when you're getting i guess there's there's a lot of what i'm saying is there's a lot of bad power pop clones right you know and i don't i don't even know if i could point to any of them in this moment not that i would because that'd be very rude uh but you know like what do you th what do you think that is if there is something with them well, one, they're from Scotland. Maybe that had something to do with it. Mm. Um, I don't know what was going on in Scotland at the time, but um, I yeah, I don't. I mean, I think like when you talk about the clones and that idea, and then when we talked about sort of their uh, their lack of like a commercial breakthrough, you know, I feel like sometimes in any genre, like I feel like you and me on some level have had a lot of like interaction with like the emo genre for the last decade or however long it's been and like the revival of that. And in my opinion, you know, going off my experience with that, I wasn't playing music in the nineties, but um, you know, the, uh, we all saw the bands that were like clones of like more seminal bands in that genre. And, um, mm -hmm. and then I think you saw bands who clearly listen to that music but we're sort of like in their own world doing something completely different and you know i definitely prefer the latter and i think um you know i guess i feel like sometimes the cloney bands get a little more attention yeah um but then like later you find the really cool stuff that was like um not as easy to wrap your head around at the time or maybe not as um like marketable at the time but um 
you know, so it got overshadowed or just didn't like get into your, your, your vision or something. And so I guess I'm only hypothesizing that like maybe, you know, the reason we like Teenage Fan Club is because they were just writing great songs and they happened to be influenced by music like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I Is that how you feel? Uh, <laughs> no, I think I, I feel exactly like that. And uh, it's like to the risk of interjecting myself too much into my own podcast, which I, I think I do a lot of every Well, episode. that's what people uh, make podcasts for. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th I mean, I think that's, that's accurate. I, but I also it makes me want to ask like, well, for you specifically, like when you were in everyone everywhere, like you mm -hmm. were really on that wave. Like I felt like in a way you all could have, and I, I don't know what kind of led, I think people just moved away and things like that, but it's like, Maybe what I'm asking is, Matt, why can't we just like go with the flow? <laughs> like, why can't we just make bands that sound like these other bands that are more successful than our bands? I think some people are better at. Um, I don't, I'm not trying to like discredit bands who like do those specific no, sounds the right way, but I think some people are better at doing that than other people. Um, and yeah. speaking for myself, like even in high school, like because the guys in everyone everywhere was almost the same band in high school. We just all played different instruments in the band. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I remember then that's when like, you know, hardcore like was really big and like, um, you know, all the music with breakdowns so kids could like hardcore dance and, but it was like Thursday. So it was still kind of like emo. And I remember like, you know, all the kids were like straightening their hair and, um, you know, and we could never figure out how to be like that. <laughs> Like we, yeah. we desperately wanted to like fit in to that scene and like be one of those bands, but we never could figure it out. And like our music never sounded right. And no one ever really, <laughs> no one ever really liked us that much. And I think it's just in your, it's in your blood. Like, I don't think, yeah. and then everyone everywhere, you know, we weren't as consciously trying to do anything. And we also like kind of even presented the emo label at the time, just cause we didn't, mm -hmm it wasn't like a thing we were trying to do, but I just think some people have a gift where they're like, you know, I want to make this sound or I'm going to do this thing and they can do it. And then other people are just like, this is what I can do. And I'm going to do that thing and, and like still draw inspiration from the same place, but it's not going to come across exactly the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you said it better than me because it's not like a negative thing. It's just like, it's like, I can't do it. So right. I'm just echoing you. Like I can't, I've never been able to do that. Like, I don't know if I could, and I'd, I'd love to be able to do it. I don't think I could sit down and write a song that sounds like teenage fan club. Right. As much as I would like to. Right. So it's, it's just, I'm always at odds with to kind of like where I want to be. Sometimes I want to be, I just, I've gotten to an age where I'm like, this is the way I'm going to write songs. <laughs> this is just yeah. what it's going to be. You know, and, and I, I think I'm you were cool always, I think you were probably always that way, but you just never like fully realized that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that, um, that's my diagnosis. Yeah. Um, so are you saying that, do you feel like, because you see that in yourself? I mean, I don't really think about that anymore. I feel like, um, 
<clears throat> I feel like with hurry, it's been more, I think in the beginning, you know, when I started the, the band, it was sort of this side project of everyone everywhere. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I was kind of tired of playing bass in that band. I wanted to play guitar again. Um, so I just started making guitar songs by myself. And I think the nature of how the band started in that way, I had no real ambition and I didn't even know if it was going to be a band. And um, so I, I don't, I don't think I consciously had anything like that with hurry where I was like, trying to sound a certain way it was just sort of like i want to make the songs that i like i'm just a, i'm just of that generation like i said before where like mm -hmm. i have like bands like the lemon heads and the jim blossoms and the goo goo dolls and um you know all that stuff um it's because if, if you it's like if you grow up listening to that music and writing that way you know, I started playing guitar because I saw that thing you do. And I was like obsessed with that song and it's all the same thing, yeah. you know? And, and but, so like I was reared in jangly guitar pop songs. Like that's just like what got drilled in there when I was a kid. So, yeah. Um, I think that's just naturally where I go to when I sit down and, and try to make a song. Yeah. I mean, I, I it also makes me, feel like you know like a few years ago i don't know if people were doing it that much anymore but they'd be like oh another 90s band right but it's like if you just look at the product of the age of the people that are doing it it's like it's impossible not to right like if you're naturally writing kind of like what's just ingrained in your dna right this is where we're at yeah. you know it feels like 10 years before that everything was like oh it's just another 80s hardcore right. thing and it's like but it's just these things these things go, people say these things go in cycles, but it's like these things have to go in cycles because people just kind of mimic what they learned to do as a kid. Yeah. It's like nature yeah. versus nurture and you're nur yeah. you're nurtured in this case on whatever music it's the same. It's basically like whatever music you have nostalgia for is the kind of music I think you're going to default to writing. Yeah. So I guess, and so if I do the uh, the radio reset thing and you start talking about Grand Prix again, then it really <laughs> answers the question on why they wrote that way. Yeah, you know, they wrote. You know, it's we like kind of how saying far we might have solved the case. Yeah, we solved the case, <laughs> and this is the shortest episode I've ever done. And I appreciate. I think you for great. coming in yep. today. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you do you want to go through? Do you said you said you had notes for other tracks? I do. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of profound things to say about any of them. Um, lightning round. We could do a lightning round. I didn't know. I didn't really know how you were going to come at it, so I I just prepared myself. I never know, you know. But um, yeah, you know, we could lightning round it a little bit. Uh, track two, Sparky's Dream, best song on the record in my opinion. Also, maybe Gerard loves the greatest song he's written in teenage fan club. I think, I think many would accept that as the, as the truth. Um, I think I, I think I accept that as the truth. Any thoughts on that? Did that song resonate with you track two, Sparky's dream? Uh, the be cool. If you said that song sucks. <laughs> no, I honestly had trouble kind of, usually what I'll do is, um, uh... 
when I kind of go through it, like I start taking note of like what I would cut from a record. What and were you? I okay, had... so what did you want to cut? This is better. <laughs> well, I honestly couldn't pick one, and it sounds like I'm just like copying out of it. I mean, I I think I would cut out like hardcore ballad but it right. feels like it's just a track ender kind of thing like around this time frame people just kind of did totally these, they put a throwaway track somewhere in it so it's like it barely counts right. as that you know so it it seems too easy to say yes i mean right. that would be one because it is a 42 minute record which isn't crazy by the standards of the time so yeah i would just cut track 13 but that's easy yeah that's easy that um, yeah wow yeah but there is like a spot later on in the record uh i'm trying to like recall kind of recall them uh like when i when i just look at track nine say no i'm trying to like think well i was about to say like, do you want to hear what my least favorite song on the album is let's do that it's it's number nine say no oh okay hmm interesting which i don't think is a bad song but i don't know what you were about to say i basically made this assumption about what you were about to say but um my thought is that when that song comes in i get a little bit antsy for like uh you know the song after it i just want to keep going you know it's like it feels like a little bit of a uh, slowdown to me but the interesting mm -hmm. thing is in my opinion that you you may not be able to weigh in on this, but say no to me is sort of the most um, emblematic of like the future direction of the band. It's like a little taste of like where they were going to eventually go. So later on, they kind of chill out even more. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I mean, a lot of people like they, they get a lot more sixties inspired. Um, ah. And, um, they do like a way more harmonies, like sort of like, um, you know, on their, on, I mean, most of their records after Grand Prix, there's like almost nonstop harmony and it almost has this like birds kind of effect, you know, the band, the birds, not, not like yeah. birds in the, in nature. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. Not Alfred Hitchcock's bird. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's just more of that like 1960s, um, jangly vibe and, um, so say no to me is sort of this like it's like the first inkling you get of like they might be thinking about stuff like that. While you say that that's one you would cut, on later albums, do you feel like that kind of going more into like Burrs or Flying Burrito Brothers or kind of touching on it in some way? Uh, do they do that to good effect or is that the detriment of those later albums? No, they do. And it's like, I think it's all about context, you know, like, I think on Grand Prix with Say No, it's like, uh, it's like the wrong guest at the party, sort of, you know, like, but with the other albums, there's a vibe and there's like a flow and it all works together, you know, and, and like the songwriting is still there, but I think it's just about the context more than anything. It's just, it, I'm not, it's not a condemnation of like their future releases. Um, do you, if you were to pick one of the three singer singers yeah. that you could only listen to their songs, which one would it be? If I had to choose one, it would be uh, Gerard Love, I think, which is what brings me to 
well, it doesn't bring me anywhere, but earlier I said how they were entering a new era right now. And that's because the record that is actually coming out, like, well, when this airs, it'll already be out. But um, mm-hmm. it's the first record without Gerard Love. Yeah. So to me, as a, as like a deep fan of the band and as a deep fan of Gerard Love, it is uh, scary and sad. Yeah, it's... Well, I think like... And though I can't act like I like knew a lot about these things. Like Yeah. But it's like to kind of realize it and think of the harmony, uh, I'm like, how will it affect it? Because it, it, a lot of times to its credit, like it feels like one person. Like, yeah, uh, well, I think, you know, they've they've released singles ahead of it. And to me, like, obviously, there's no songs written by Gerard Love in these singles. But, you know, to me, it's not missing anything for like a Norman Blake song or like a Ray song or whatever. Um, so I don't think it's hurting and, you know, Norman Blake and Raymond McGinley are still good songwriters. So, yeah. And, and that's why I'm still going to listen to Teenage Fan Club is because I still, you know, I have a favorite of the three, but I still love all of their songs. So, um, but it's just different. Cause like, to me that a lot of the joy of that band is like, you're sort of like zipping around from, from all three of them. So it's going to be weird to hear an album where Gerard Love is just like completely absent. Yeah, I mean, I th- you know, I mean, it leads me to another place where I don't think I consciously break apart a lot of times where bands have other singers. It's like, but I feel like I'm drawn to bands with multiple singers without realizing it. And I don't know if that's just a product of being in name, two bands. Name some have. others. What other ones do you like? Uh, Sloan. Okay. Sloan, uh, I think actually out of the four people in the band, everyone sings. Mm-hmm. So they do the kind of Beatles move around the kit thing. Right. Um, and, well, then the kind of normal things like, well, Goo Goo Dolls does it. Uh, yeah. And Controversially, a lot, of, a lot of people don't like the bass player songs in the Goo Goo Dolls. I like his songs. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I do too. I mean, it's, it's sort of like to be like, they're better it's it's sometimes it's like i don't want to say like one's better than the other because i think that's what that's like the full package you're getting yeah is it true like this is my version of history with the goo goo dolls and maybe you know this and i better than me but like on the really old ones doesn't isn't the bass player the only singer on like their their like early early stuff i think really early on yes but or it might be like let's say if there's 10 tracks on a record like johnny would have sung one Right. Can you imagine, though, like when you discover that you have Johnny Resnick in your band and like he's not singing all the songs and you're like, oh, my God, yeah, someone must have had a tough conversation with the bass player that day. Or if if maybe he was like, no, just clearly you are the better singer. (laughs) (laughs) It just might be like you're you're like six foot whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just going to happen. It's going to go this way. This is better. Like he (laughs) must. (laughs) yeah um like it's funny to think about in context though because especially too it's like i think by the third record of goo goo dolls it definitely was like oh this is gonna be johnny resnick right like a boy named they're uh, sort of flip-flopping a lot but all the hits all the hits were johnny songs like he the bass player didn't have any songs on the radio yeah i don't 
think so. If, if it was radio, it was like he got college. I think the preference was set on a boy named Goo, where they, yeah. they let the voters decide, and yeah. the voters made their choice. Yeah, it was a it was a tough vote, and we're still like, we're gonna recount. Uh, we're gonna recount, yeah. and there's some cases out there, and we're gonna see where it goes. Yep. But mm-hmm. you know, uh, Robbie, we're pulling for you, Robbie. Robbie. Uh, but it'd be like it makes me think like if now like okay, what 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 record is what record number is Hurry on? Um, the new record is. I do the thing where I don't count the first record as an album. I call it an EP. So um, one, two, three. So this is technically the fourth full length album. Okay. I think. Yeah. I think. But you count the one. um, Sorry, I'm going to forget the name. It was a self-titled. In front of the building. Yeah, that that one Uh, I call it. You count that as the first one, really. I do, yeah. 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 Uh, well, there's uh, on the last Late Bloomer record, uh, someone said it was our third record. Mm-hmm. Or wait, they said it was our second record, and then I was like, I'm not gonna correct them. There are some <laughs> Just people let that who, be... even within the band, that argue with me that it's the first thing is an album and not an EP. Um, so there is controversy around it, but I I stick to my guns. I don't know why. Well, how many song? How many songs are on the first one? Eight. There are eight songs on it. It is technically an album. Yeah. But, but the point I was making is, okay, so on this this new Hurry record, whatever is third or fourth, we're going to give it. It's uh, either fourth or fifth. Yeah. Yeah. Fourth or fifth. Okay. Um, Let the record so show. It, it'd be like if on this record you started letting another person in the band sing and then you discovered that they were much like, better oh, than wow. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which could happen. You know, that's not that's not the craziest idea. Yeah. Maybe that should happen yeah. in more bands, you know. <laughs> like Jimmy World did that early on, right? But I think they realized quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they but, didn't, but they also didn't. like Yeah. Um well well with them too, it's like there are a couple songs where I'm like, man, I do wish that guy sang more. Um like blister is a Jimmy World song that the other guy sings. I got I'm a I'm a weird Jimmy World man. I I mean I I listen to Clarity a little bit. Uh, Static prevails. I don't like at all, and I really like Futures the best. So I I feel like I don't really have to have an opinion on Jimmy at World because my uh, well I don't have to my, have an opinion on it. <laughs> Well, no one has to. You <laughs> legally have to have an opinion on Jimmy Orr. But uh, my partner, uh, Sarah, she listens to them a lot. Mm-hmm. And Neil, when we were still touring, um, he list- he would put them on in the van a lot. So it's like, I feel like I never personally have to listen to Jimmy World because I get enough of it between the two of them. Yeah, Jimmy World is, you know? is uh, playing for you whether, you, yeah. whether you like it or not. Yeah, and I don't dislike it. It's just I will now never have to go. I will now listen to Jimmy at World. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so right. makes sense. Yeah, what what uh, were we talking about? Oh, you were naming we you were, were naming bands to... with multiple singers that you liked. Oh yes, and then I went way <laughs> off the rail. Um, well, okay, so who's Do? Um, there's more than I can do. I you know now I'm on the spot. I didn't write a list of bands with multiple singers. But uh, well, sometimes, though, I feel like 
that happens more than people realize and they just don't or it's like that the other singer is featured a lot on the record but they end up never getting the singles but the band continues to like let both of them sing it's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. not how people sort of appreciate the band yeah like rilo kiley yeah but i don't think he s- sings as much but i mean no not very much he would get like one or two i think per record yeah i thought that's what you were kind of saying i might have misunderstood you i haven't been (laughs) listening (laughs) (laughs) i don't know ultimately the point i think it's it's like uh i think sometimes i get really invested in it because it's a war with myself um to make sure that as a bass player my voice is heard Right. A little bit mm-hmm. on each record. That's the plight, um, the like, plight of the bassist, you know? Yeah, like Gerard Love. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think I'm alone in think in, in like having him as a favorite in the band. I don't, I don't know a lot of Teenage Fan Club fans to talk to about it, but um, he's a, he, he was a, a very important person to that band. It's, so it's a, monumental that they have this new record he's not in the band anymore yeah i mean i would have i feel like i would probably pick like don't look back as like a favorite song and that's also a gerard love song yeah um even though i did go into the conversation saying i didn't realize they had multiple singers right you know it the the one singer that i thought it was i was like oh he emotes in a way that i like you know yeah i think he has a bit of a, a bit of a wistful vibe to his songs yeah yeah i mean i i think i the thing i couldn't figure out is if i was pulling for gerard love more because he's not currently in the band and because mm, he's the band's bass player i see so i'm you have a lot I don't of biases i can separate yes i i can't right yeah please don't take my uh <laughs> yeah we can't this is a skewed sure. experiment yeah. But we'll take your word for it. So Gerard Love is your favorite out of the three. Right. Yeah. Although, I mean, I have as much reason to be biased as well because his story and my story are very similar where we both played bass in bands and then started side projects where we played guitar and wrote songs. So, uh, you know, I'm just as likely to err towards him for personal reasons. But, um, I mean, I do, uh, I think, you know, Norman Blake is a close second for sure for me. Um, and they're stylistically so different. Like, I feel like Gerard Love songs are always sort of like these like fully realized, like very, not meticulous, but just sort of, they're just really well done. And I feel like it's hard to like find flaws in them a lot. And I think what I like so much about Norman Blake's songs is that he is a little more punk and a little more willing to like do things the wrong way or be a little more raw with, with things, you know, uh, you know, there's like a famous story. Um, there's a a track on the album before Grand Prix, um, that it's called Norman number something. I forget the number right now, but, um, you know, it's the famous story is like, he wrote this song. It's like, it's like placed in the single slot you know, it's like track three or four on the record. And there's no bridge in it. It's just like a verse that lasts for like a minute and a half. And then this like three minute chorus that just repeats one line over and over and over. And that's the whole song. And like the story is the label told him he had to put a bridge in the song. 
And he said no, and they just released it that way. And it is kind of insane, but like, you know, he's he does stuff like that where he's just like, look, I made this like great melody and I'm just going to sing it for three minutes and that's all I'm going to do. You know, it's like yeah. it's like what you do to me, like that song from Bandwagon-esque. It's kind of the same thing. Like that song is just two parts that just go back and forth over and over and over and over. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been really into that idea with songwriting and I can't I can't I can't wrap my head around if it's just laziness <laughs> or if I've just got arrived at a place where like sometimes it just doesn't need more than that and then like yeah, yeah and then I'll get to practice and then like you know someone will be like let's add this part to it. And right. I'm like that's not what I wanted but you're a better musician than me so you know <laughs> but it's like but I I feel that a lot too. I I think sometimes it's like some songs maybe don't need more than two parts totally <laughs> you know yeah and that, like, i mean i think i've learned you know even though i've already stated my preference for gerard love i think i've learned more from norman blake like listening to his songs um for those types of reasons of like oh you know a song doesn't have to be verse pre-chorus chorus bridge chorus you know like you can just make a chorus and that's the whole song, you know, and just kind of like, jam. I, mean, I mean, I think it's inspired by like stuff like Neil Young and, um, yeah, you know, I, you know, he, I, to me, he's like the king of doing that where like, he just is going to lay into a part and like sing it over and over and, and like play a solo. That's one note. And yeah. so I didn't do some of that, but, um, yeah, I feel like Bob Mould does something like that a lot. Usually there's like a build up and then kind of a chorus that just kind of like it's like it'll take a while to kind of build into the chorus and the chorus will be the rest of the song for like two and a half more minutes. Yeah. And it's really just that repeated line. Yeah, you know, but it's like it's like it's going to take a bit to get there and then that's all you're going to get. Totally. And to like from I can say that like for since i've since i heard teenage fan club like i i think the first hurry record was like finished recording by the time i heard teenage fan club for the first time um but every record since then i feel like i've sort of like utilized some of that knowledge i gained where like you know on on our album guided meditation there's a song where i just it's basically just a chorus the whole time and I, I like felt secure in that because I was like, oh, this band I love does stuff like that. And then on the next record, there's a part where, you know, the song does just sort of build to one part. And then we just repeat that part in this sort of like droning thing over and over and over and all mm -hmm. that stuff, I think. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's stuff I'm not thinking of now that's inspired by them as well. But um, they've definitely been influ influential on me in that way of just like, um, I think with Hurry in general, for me, every influence I've had has not been an influence in so much as like, I'm going to try to make a song like this. It's been an influence in like making me feel less insecure about yeah. the things I want to do because coming out of the emo world that we were both in, I feel like to me, at least it was scary to write like straightforward guitar rock songs because like who it's like who's gonna want to listen to this you know what i mean yeah uh, like it's just not what people are doing um so 
a lot of my influences for hurry including teenage fan club but also like more of the moment bands like that first best coast record or um that first yuck record or the second yuck record like that stuff was all just sort of like i felt like it was sort of like giving me these gentle pushes of like hey you know like you can do this and it's like not lame you know yeah i i think sometimes like uh personally i feel like punk at this point in my life like punk or emo or whatever is almost like something that has almost like held me back from becoming what i could have been years ago mm-hmm. you know but then again it's like there i wouldn't have arrived at this that's insecurity no way. you know like yeah yeah not i mean i did the same thing yeah that's, true uh, that's yeah. why i'm saying it i'm not like accusing you but i think when we were both that age like especially you know when you're like in that sort of like um that scene where there's like a lot happening and it feels like there's a lot of like opportunity and whatever um you know it's scary to like diverge from that and feel confident doing it so i think that's what i'm trying to say is like bands like teenage fan club and the when they hit me like when they came into my life it was at a time where i needed to feel more secure to like break out of that thing i was in and, and start doing like what i really wanted to do but felt like uh nobody would like or like um it would just be like bad you know yeah 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 it definitely the same thing it was like but it's funny though i feel like though it's like oh well i like things like buffalo tom Mm -hmm. i always feel like i like these things that were never kind of big in their own merit right you know so then it's like i'm i'm referencing bands that were never like sure yeah it's a dangerous game to play yeah but i mean but i think like what's interesting though is thinking of like i definitely think teenage fan club comes across in your music and i i don't think that if but i don't think it feels like that's all you're doing like i'm i'm kind of uh agreeing with you uh but i think i i would have thought thinking of what i what i guess i consider the first hurry record i knew um and so so it's like i would have thought even listening to that like i can see some of like teenage fan club to a lesser degree in it Mm -hmm. but i guess that's like a record that might have leaned more to i guess i want to say weezer but yeah i mean i I think guitar rock of that was right around when i was like super obsessed with best coast and okay um and Yola Tango and Yuck and this idea, like my goal with that album was like, I'm going to write these sort of like Fountains of Wayne type like pop songs, but I'm going to make them sound completely insane. And like, everything is going to be feeding back and there's going to be distortion everywhere. And like, you know, the vocals went through this like tiny little practice amp. And that was just sort of, um, the vision I had for that was, was to like juxtapose those things. Uh, yeah. Well, so I don't, I mean, I think like, I think if you hear a teenage fan club influence, it's indirect and it's just the influence of like nineties radio rock. And that, yeah. like we said before, that stuff that's just like ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. 
And then yeah. after that was and, like when I started. Anyway, go on. What were you gonna say? No, I, no, I. No, I. I think like, I guess where you were kind of saying like you feel like you kind of use learn i guess as you kind of learn the tricks of maybe looking at like a norm blake song looking at you know a gerard love song and then kind of incorporate them but in your own way mm-hmm. um as you're writing songs like so it, as hurry has progressed you know um do you feel like teenage fan club has been like a kind of direct influence or you kind of look at it and go i take that as an influence so i'm gonna kind of use it the way I know how to. I think it's been influential, but I think in that way I was talking about where it just sort of gave me the confidence to sort of continue down that road and um, and not worry as much about like, is this song too poppy or like, should I do it this way or you know I, it helped me get out of my head a little bit with some of that stuff just because um yeah i don't know i mean it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense because i obviously heard a lot of music like teenage fan club when i was a kid and then they, yeah. it's not like they were this new band that came in but i think yeah. i think it was just the cocktail of everything where it was like hearing that but also you know hearing like those other bands i was referencing and um all of it coming together just made me go like, okay, like I think all this music is cool and this is sort of what I want to do. So I, now I feel like I can do it. Yeah. Cause it, I just yeah, didn't have I, access to that other than my nostalgia of like radio hits from the mid nineties, you know, which is like not the most confidence inducing thing where you're like, okay, I'm going to play nineties music now, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah. To me that sounds bad. That like that sounds <laughs> not what I want to do. So um you know, I think I think that's sort of what's at play. Sometimes I feel like when I think about like something being nineties, I just think about like the band live. You know? <laughs> and it's like I don't even like have any strong feeling about them either way. It's right. just kinda like it's just kinda like I know <laughs> I know that's not what I'm doing, you know. Well, and to me too, I think I had this like sort of uh, old guy bias or something. I remember one, everyone everywhere when we toured, all of our tours were bad. We never did a good tour, but uh, one of the tours we did, we had a show in Savannah and we got to the club and there was one other band playing that was headlining. We were opening the show and they were all like in their forties or fifties. Like they were, you know, not like super old, but they were old much older than us we were like we were all like 21 um yeah and you know we were chit-chatting with them outside the the club and and um we were like oh so like what what does your band sound like and they were like it's kind of like 90s alternative stuff and i remember thinking like oh cool like you know like they're the bright age like they could have been you know a band that was playing at that time and like you know this could be really interesting um what they didn't tell me is they were a cover band mm. um so when their set started they, their first song was machine head by bush and oh, you know it just like it just went on from there so i think there's also an element of that where it was like i can't play i can't play 90s music i can't write 90s music because i'm going to be one of these like pathetic idiots you know um not them specifically because they were a cover band but 
I don't know. It's not even real. Like the pathetic idiot thing I said, there is no such thing as that person. Like it's just this thing you make up in your brain and mm -hmm. you like scare yourself out of doing things or you convince yourself not to do things because, you know, you're insecure and you're afraid of how people are going to perceive it. And um, so I think, you know, teenage fan club at that hit me at this, at this right time where I was like so inspired by this music and it was an example of that kind of music and it felt timeless to me and um, it helped give me that push to like not not feel so scared of like putting myself out there in that way. I'll probably be viewed as not cool to someone and have a lot of time. <laughs> Everyone you know? will know. That's literally every <laughs> single person. Yeah. Those those guys in that cover band might have been really cool at some point. They might have been cool that day. Or they might have been. Yeah. I mean, honestly, um, in all honesty, it sounds very fun to me to play Machine Head by Bush live on stage at a rock club. Maybe that's the pandemic talking, but I'm ready to do it. <laughs> I'm not against it. I I felt like I was always like, just like it's a waste of time to be in a cover band. There's so many other things I can. I need to write my own song. Well, I'm also cover. My... I'm a cover guy. Like we've hurry has played a cover at every show we've ever done. We can never decide. Like, do you feel like you just pick the cover and everyone goes along with it? Usually, yeah. I guess that's the benefit of essentially hurry being your band. It is one of the benefits. Yeah, I mean, there have been times where I've gotten like really committed no's to something I've suggested and, and people have been uh, just adamantly against things. And then I get over, I don't I don't push it because it's not worth me being like, no, we are going to cover this Oasis song. Like over my dead body, we're not doing this. But, uh, you know, it's not worth doing that. So, but generally I just get the yeah. pick. Right, but right before the pandemic happened, and like with with the new record, I uh, a friend of mine started playing second guitar in the band, so it's the first time that mm -hmm. we've been a four piece. And um, I was talking to him um, over the pandemic, and I was kind of like uh, jokingly asking like what his favorite Hurry song was like to play. And he was, and one of the last shows we did was a Halloween show where it was, we played like 10 covers and he was just saying how like a majority of the songs he's learned in the band have been cover songs. Um, <laughs> so he had, he's had a very strange experience. Like he, he knows the songs on the new record and then he knows like 10 or 11 covers. Um, and that's it. So, so, so basically did he come in right when you were learning the covers and then I guess then kind of after that the pandemic happened yeah we played like one real show in january and that was it okay so so he really uh didn't get a uh a good background he he does not know most of the songs but he knows <laughs> he knows a lot of songs that are not by her yeah okay <laughs> like machine head by bush right yeah well, i think yeah. i was talking you... to him and I, when i said like what what song what hurry songs do you like to play he was like i've been playing american girl by tom petty a lot <laughs> <laughs> oh man i think it's interesting i guess for being on where you're at like what made you decide to bring a second guitar player into hurry now um i'd always thought about it um but I was just so, I loved the simplicity of the trio and I loved 
even the logistical simplicity of just having to coordinate yeah. like two other people's schedules and like um i was just like oh my god if we have to have a fourth person it's going to be a mess like what are the odds we're all going to be available at the same times and blah 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 um so i just kind of hem and hawed about it for a long time but in the back of my mind i always knew that i wanted to because it's not like we don't record the records as a as a three-piece you know like i do multiple guitar tracks and um you know, it never sounded the same live. And I used to really like that. Um, but anyway, um, eventually I just sort of, the, the guy who came in, Justin, um, is like a very cool, very relaxed guy. And um, I was just casually talking to him. He, the, a band he had been playing with kind of stopped. And I knew he was the personality that like, if I asked him to play a show with us and I didn't really like the vibe and I said like, Never mind. He wouldn't be like upset or anything. Like I knew he was like chill, and um, so we had like a fairly like big show coming up, and I was like, just asked if he wanted to do it. And then, you know, the first time we practiced, and I heard him playing like the leads on the songs while I was like strumming the chords. I was like, oh my god, I'm such an idiot for not doing this sooner because it sounded so much better. <laughs> um, so that was kind of it. All all I really had to do was hear it and and realize. Uh, it sounds like a real band now, you know? So there's a new hurry record coming out. Uh, what's the name of it? And when does that come out? Uh, it's called fake ideas and it comes out on June 25th. And what label is releasing it? Lamo. So it's another okay. hot Lamo record. So things are going well between you and Lamo. <laughs> uh, they seem to be going fairly well they 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 continue to have me back um and uh you know we don't have an extended contract so when they put these albums out it's because they want to and not because they're contractually obligated to do it um hmm. so i would say it's going pretty well given given those circumstances so. yeah and um or do you feel like this is the best material hurry has done i do but um Famously, I, this is a thing I say a lot uh, when it comes up, but every band who's ever released a horrible record has said it was their best record ever. Mm. Like no band has ever put a new album out and been like, this one's not so good. That would be really great but if they did. Because when you're, when you're an artist, I don't know, like I wouldn't put an album out if I didn't think it was good, you know? Yeah. Unless I unless had, to. had to, unless I had to, but I've never been in that situation. Um, but you've already stated you are not, uh, they are not contract uh, contractually obligated and you are also not contractually obligated. Yes. So we are getting your best work because it is <laughs> of, of sound mind. Yes. Incredibly sound getting... mind. Maybe, <laughs> one of the, Maybe the most, sound. one of the most sound minds of all time. Yeah, too sound to be writing rock music. Right, so sound that I made an entire album about mental illness. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so are you? Can we talk about the music video? Yeah, it'll it should be out. Okay, yeah. that's the one that is going to be announced with it. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. I, I it feels weird to talk about a music video, and I hope people just watch it. Um, 
I don't know why I'm dissecting your music video, but I am, uh, I'm very, I'm very happy that you sent it to me. Um, <laughs> did it scare did you? you? <laughs> did it frighten you? It was, it, it was amazing. And I also had questions and all the questions were like, totally didn't matter. It was kind of like, the first thing is like, okay, green screen. All right. Mm-hmm. Unless unbeknownst to me, you were truly traveling on the back of that truck. No, yeah. Um, right. We did use a green screen. And <laughs> so <laughs> the the silliest question is like how did then how did you get the truck? <laughs> did you... How did the truck move? I don't understand. How did the truck move? Um so basically uh Adobe After Effects. Oh, okay, okay. That's the boring All answer. Right. That's how the truck moves. I was trying to think of it in relation to like a green screen, and I was like, I know that is not the case. Well, it's just, uh, it's all, uh, do you ever have color forms when you're a kid? No. No. It's like stickers. They're all stickers. So the truck's a sticker. Okay, okay I'm a sticker. Okay. The other guys in the band are stickers. And then you, you just move all the stickers together in the program, you know? Wouldn't that take a lot of time? Um, you'd be surprised. I think if you did it, uh, it could take, it takes as much time as you want it to take. That's like saying, doesn't recording a song take a long time? True. Yeah. Um, that, but that also is like why I feel like I don't have, like, I thought of every process of like how to make a music video for EP we did last year. And then just the thought of doing all of that, I was like, I'm not going to do that. And then just didn't do it. So it's like, I've already written these songs, you know, went through and recorded mm-hmm. them. So then I also have to make this music video or, you know, think of the concept. And I, I know myself, I'm not going to do Well, that. I also, uh, I have to say that I wouldn't have done it without Chris Farron. Um, uh, because the, it was my brainchild and I pitched the idea to him. And Chris had never directed a video before, um, but I know him pretty well, and I know he's creative and uh, and he works hard. So I sort of challenged him, and um, so after like kind of telling him all my ideas and writing it all out and, and like all that stuff with him, I sort of handed the reins over. And um, so if if it were on me, like I just because. Uh, I wanted to, I did sort of like start learning that program a little bit because I filmed everything mm-hmm. on the green screen. So I had all the stuff to just like mess around with, but um, I would not have made this video without Chris because I would have probably given up. Also, I needed that, that third party person to like be excited about it and um, help me make it happen. Cause I definitely would have given up if, it, if I was doing it on my own or just never even got to it. Did you write out a full script for it? Um, I wrote out. So what happened was I wrote I wrote the script in the beginning where there's like actual dialogue, and then, um, sort of outlined, like we, me and Chris had a few meetings, and in one of them, we were just rattling off different activities, and making lists, and then um. And then I had the idea of the world ending because of our music. 
like <laughs> that was that was my main idea it was like it was and it's funny because like we did this in um you know january like it wasn't that long ago but it was long enough ago that like it felt like the pandemic was never gonna end and um yeah. so my idea was we're the last band alive the world is like starving for a tour and then because of a freak accident at the Eiffel Tower that broadcasts our music into space, it attracts the ire of aliens who do not like the music and destroy planet Earth right after the pandemic because of our yeah. music. I think my favorite part But was I also when... said we had to survive. So we survived the attack. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler like, alert it, it's... if someone listening hasn't watched it. Yeah, yet. I almost was trying to not like spoil it. Maybe you can like... edit a spoiler warning in for the video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um well then actually I'll tell you the part that I like the best. Okay. Because I do want to kinda of leave it. I think we've we've left it not that many spoilers. Um you, you I guess the end you spoiled. But, well there is a um... there's a post credit sequence too, I should say. Oh yes. Um yes, but we won't spoil that. Yeah. Um I think that so after watching that video, you and Chris as a directing team should be handed the next Marvel movie. <laughs> you know, it's funny I I pit, I actually said to Chris when the video was done that he and I should like uh uh form a team of some kind. Um mm -hmm. we haven't formed a team yet, but I'm glad you I'm going to make him listen to you say that and then um reinforce the idea because i think we I, I really think we might we might be on to something yeah but it has to have like some name like you're like a dj duo we could definitely come up with one of those yeah i'm not going to try on the spot but no 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 but no, it, that that doesn't sound difficult to me that sounds easy yeah because i i mean scottaline farron has it's not a bad ring to it. it has a good rhythm but you know we can I mean, it's not for me to workshop. It's well, I I appreciate you. it, you know, and yeah. I'm glad that. But you, your name should be first. My name should be first. Yeah, it. right. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And and Farron's got a that doesn't have a good ring to it. Wow. Well. Yeah. I'll let I'll let him take that up with you. Um. He can't. He's welcome to. I mean, I I think it's just phonetically. I think your name mm. should be first. Great. It's just stronger. Sounds. That way. That's fantastic. Yeah. So did the, the well, did the video frighten you, or or did it give you you know? So it's it's not it's a frightening video. It's it's pretty terrifying. Um, it was terrifying too to think that we would be not touring for that long. Sure. Um, still trying not to give spoilers. Um, <laughs> uh, but at this point, maybe that's realistic in what the world should do. Maybe. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. Um, so that that kind of stuck with me more than I thought, mm. you know. Um, but you know, maybe though, in reality, we'll see a we'll see a hurry tour in July. July. <laughs> July twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, but seriously, um, I do appreciate you coming on the pod. I look forward to the new record. Uh, I've liked all of your records. Thank you. Um, and I'm a, I'm a fan, Matt. Thanks so much. You know. So is there anything else we need to say to Teenage Fan Club? 
No, nothing to them. You know what I wanted to tell, tell, talk to you about? I realized today when I was getting ready to come on here, I thought this would be a good thing to air on the podcast. Um, yeah. But I realized that um, I don't think I follow you on Twitter. Wow. And I felt kind of bad about it. And I, I realized today, so I'm going to follow you right now on the podcast. I thought that would be kind of a cool stunt to, to end the wow, podcast on. You know, I thought since we're airing it, I had assumed because I think I no- I noticed at one point and you reminded me that you didn't. Uh, do you want to watch well, me? Edit? Okay, actually, fo- f- yeah, do it. Done. Okay, and I super appreciate it. I did notice. I think I tried to send you a message or something on uh, Twitter. It was like so at some point I realized it, and then I was like, not i wasn't i didn't feel hurt about it all i thought was i must have been pretty annoying at some point <laughs> and so i thought you had unfollowed me and that but i didn't blame you for it i don't think i ever did yeah huh but um but i i think that that also kept like a probably keeps an air of mystery where <laughs> it was like a hierarchy you know i don't want that it kept me guessing if you truly liked me well, that's the problem. Is and, that's why I felt bad when I realized it because I do like you, and I was like, "Oh, that's not good." But I, I yeah. am, I'm notoriously bad with that. Where sometimes, like if if someone replies to me on Twitter and I see it and I know them, I'm I just assume that I follow them. Yeah, and then uh, you know you get you get a rude awakening every now and then. Hmm. But so you're you're promising me that it wasn't like a uh kind of head games kind of oh yeah i promise i promise okay my if you want me to good about it we we can edit this part out but if you wanted me to uh my true diagnosis for what happened is there was definitely a period early on in having met you and maybe like around didn't we play a show with all right at some point yeah like it was the same show because we end up playing together a lot because we always want to go to the same places whatever whatever it was there was like a period of time where i just wasn't sure who you were like 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 early on in us knowing each other and Uh i think it was because you were in two different bands and i had played with both of them but i was like i you know i couldn't like make sense of it in my mind basically and this was Mm -hmm. before i would like see you more like talk to you more but i think something to do with that i just never put together that late bloomer was you like it just didn't, mm. it didn't like click for a long time. And I think by the time it did, I didn't realize like, you know, I, it, that's my diagnosis of what happened. Yeah. I kind of kept it. I think probably around the time that we're talking about, sometimes I would keep it vague, even though I really used it as my personal account for a long time and still really still do. Um, I, I was working in finance, so oh, I didn't really yeah. want a front facing thing that, not that they were probably honestly never looking uh, and it wasn't like I was giving like stock tips or something. Um, you know, but I, I, for some Speaking reason, stock, felt do you have I, any stock tips right now? I, and I'm not being vague. It was something after I failed my finance licenses, I feel like I forgot everything. Nice. You know, so if you started talking about stock stuff, I might be able to tell you things. It's sort of the thing where I could never, I could never lead the conversation got it like i don't i remember it in a way the way i feel like i remember it is when i hear like i took like five years of spanish 
I can never start speaking in Spanish, but I think if I hear someone speak Spanish, I might be able to get something out of it. Totally. Uh, so, you know, uh, so that's, yeah. So I, I could help you if you had specific questions. I don't. About I was finance. just hoping you would tell me some secret stock that uh, I could invest in right now. Orange juice. Okay. Is yeah. that a, uh, is that like on the commodity market or is that? You would know if you knew. Okay. A specific brand or just the, the juice in general? Just orange juice. <laughs> okay. I'll uh all right. I'll call my advisor. Okay. Well thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Welcome back. Thanks again to Matt Scottaline for coming on the pod. Don't forget to watch the new Hurry music video for the song It's Dangerous. It's really amazing. Trust me. Pre-order the new album Fake Ideas on Lamo Records. Okay. Next week on the pod, we're chatting with Ray of Gold Woman. We're talking about Haim's 2013 album Days Are Gone. It's a band and album that, honestly, I never listened to, so it was a lot of fun discovering something new. Also, listen to Gold Woman's singles gold woman has a new album coming out that's june 11th on self-aware records it was awesome chatting with ray thanks as always to sarah blumenthal for adding the pod and pretty maddie for performing the theme if you haven't yet please check out our patreon that's patreon.com spinning out pod well anyway see you next week